All right, so we have a new episode of Legends and Leaders, and today it's great to have Eric here. You know, Eric, you're somebody that decided that the chess online revolution needed to happen. You worked to make it happen. You spent a lot of time on this, and you really laid the fundamentals for what the industry has become today. I mean, made online something that's much more reputable and accepted, and now really the face of the chess industry, um, and built something up from ground zero to um, to helping millions and millions of players have an opportunity to play chess in an accessible way through the freemium model that you have um, and inspiring a lot of people to be into the game. So I'm excited to have you here and to get into your story. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So where did your passion for chess come from? Was it someone introduced you to the game as a kid or how did you kind of get into it initially? You know, my mom promotes the lore that she taught me when I was you know, age eight, and then I won our first game and we never played again. Obviously, I don't remember all that, but I do remember playing a little bit back then. But it really wasn't until I was a senior in high school and my grandpa uh, had a chess board and, you know, we just started to play around a little bit. And I, I didn't really understand the game very well, but, it, you know, it kind of grabbed me a little bit. But I didn't really fall into the rabbit hole of chess until like freshman year of college where the chess club president happened to live on the same floor as me. And he destroyed me in chess so bad. I was like, there, I, there's, there's something to this. I need to figure this out. Uh, and it was just this, you know, you, once you fall into the game of chess, you can never stop falling. It's a bottomless hole of, you know, entertainment and fascination and frustration and all those things. So, um, you know, that's kind of really when I got started and then, you know, oddly then to this now, like, I've never had a really a career at all outside of chess. It's, you know, I went from doing one entrepreneurial chess venture to another, and this is like my third and, 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 and final. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's just been fascinating. It's a game you can throw your whole life into. Right. So you got inspired to be in chess. Clearly there was this competitive nature in you, you know, at the time, at what point or, or what kind of like led to the decision that, Hey, I want to go and make this site and make, make an opportunity for people to go and play online. Like how did that kind of come about? What inspired you to do that? So I was at the time I was running my own company again, which was the, it was kind of the, um, the Amazon of uh, chess at the time. Cause Amazon was just selling books. This is back in 2000, you know, kind of three, four and Amazon was just selling books. And I was like the biggest online chess retailer uh, selling online chess equipment, but the costs of customer acquisition were so high that it was really a frustration, you know, for me every single day to watch our profits get kind of consumed out by paid ads. And we thought there's got to be a better way here. Um, and so, you know, we started looking at like, maybe we should build a community. There's not a great online chess community. And we were starting to see like Friendster pop up and then MySpace. And we're like, well, hey, maybe we should build the MySpace of chess. You know, we tried to build the Amazon of chess. Now let's build the MySpace of chess. And so, you know, we, we, we're like, well, we can't build that in an e-commerce site. It needs to be on its own location. And so, you know, one word domain names are, are, are awesome. And we're like, well, what, what if we could get chess.com? And that kicked off a series of conversations with the owners who did own it and then a bankruptcy sale. And we ended up buying it and then starting to like, then I was like, hey, I don't want to do the equipment business anymore. I, I want to like, I don't want to do e-commerce. I want to get into doing this. I also got into business school. And so I decided to go do that. And so I was kind of doing both these things at the same time, going to business school, but also spending a lot of time, you know, thinking about how we were going to launch the, you know, the online chess community at chess.com. So if you could just kind of get Eric into more of the story of how you guys got the domain, like, so you reached out to someone who owned it, like, 
what was the process there? I mean, you first you had to think it was possible you could get it, but how complicated really was it getting this domain? I mean, I like to tell my kids, like, you get in life what you go after, right? Like, you have to get out there and be aggressive and say what you want. When you're, when you're at a restaurant and you want a certain thing, if it's not on the menu, ask for it. You'll probably get it. Um, I'm a bit of an ask for it person. Like, you know, I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but like I'll go after something and try to find it and make it happen. And so, you know, it took a little bit of time to figure out who owned it. And then you got to reach out and then you got to pester again. And then you got to set a meeting and then they ghost your meeting. So you got to set another meeting and you know, ultimately talk to people. And so you have to be persistent at these things. So I was persistent in finding it, got in touch with the owners. Then I found out that like, they honestly really didn't understand what they had or what they were doing. And I quickly, you know, we originally were going to like go into business together, but it was like, they don't actually, they own the asset of the domain name, but they don't really bring anything to the table other than that. And that's no disrespect to them. They're from a little bit of a different software generation, CDs and you know, different things at the time, you know, we don't even have these things anymore. And, and they didn't understand that stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, they're, you know, they're going to end up owning some of this, but not really contributing. And then we found out they were going to go bankrupt because they owed all this money, you know, from their other startup. And we're like, well, why would we like, why would we let them just go bankrupt and be a part of this? Why don't we just go buy the domain name? So then there was a bankruptcy auction and in that auction, you know, me and, and a friend, you know, we just ended up buying the assets for, you know, for $56,000 and then just cut them out of the picture, which again, like, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit bad about it, but on the same time, like, it was like, well, they weren't, you know, they had all this debt. They, it was a legitimate bankruptcy and, you know, they weren't really bringing anything to the table. Wow. Yeah. Definitely interesting how you just were persistent to go get it and you got it done. Uh, I think the domains, you know, helped the website so much throughout the years. Massive. So in terms of like, yeah, massive. In terms of like getting publicity and traction, right? You're, you know, you're young, you have limited amount of resources and you have this site. Like, how did you start to go out and, and really gain, you know, traction for it? Was it just put this as many places as possible? Like, what was kind of your strategy you used? Well, it was a different time. I mean, it was even before search engine optimization in some ways. It was like people would go to their browser and they would type chess in the top. And instead of like doing a Google search, which is what happens now, it just would add .com and go. And so every day we had thousands of people just going straight to chess.com. We weren't doing anything. It was just coming. And so we're like, okay, well, that's enough people to get started. And so we built the site and then, you know, you'd get a few thousand people a day, just randomly typing chess in, it would default to chess.com and you'd get some of those people who would create accounts and then they would tell friends and do things. So that's, you know, then search engine optimization. One day we're like, wait a minute. I remember the day where I was like, wait, I just typed chess into my browser and it didn't go to chess.com. It went to search results. And I was like, okay, we're number one there, but that may not stay. We need to pay attention to this. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we really worked on the SEO angle and did that. And then what we really realized, and this is, this is something that kind of blows people's minds, is that over time, we have spent almost $0 on paid acquisition. Google search, Facebook, you know, all the different ad platforms and, you know, no disrespect to, to big tech and the, and the ad platforms. It works really well for some people, but for us, we decided early on that we were going to invest all that money instead into content, into events, into memes, into social media, into instructional content, into, and then we were saying, we're going to spend this money to benefit users 
And that will be our customer acquisition strategy will be to spend that on, on content rather than trying to pay for ads that say, you know, play chess online, click here and come to chess.com. Well, instead we'll make a video for YouTube. That's how to play chess online. And then, you know, it'll do its thing. So we're very early on the content strategy and spent very little on customer acquisition. And then we were very early on the streaming strategy where, you know, different influencers and creators, uh, you know, who were into chess, you know, we worked with them. And so that was kind of our customer acquisition strategy. So we dominate you know, a search engine optimization, app store optimization for mobile downloads, and then the content game. And, you know, that's, that's basically what we do along with product stuff, word of mouth, invite your friends, you know, all the product virality. So you, you wanted to make the site, you know, it wasn't just about Eric, like going on the site and having a good time as the only thing you could do. You wanted to make it about competitions and about serious competitions with real value. How did you, you know, shift, I guess, the focus of that, and especially in the public perception of it to to make it that chess.com is a, a is you know is a place that you can really have serious competitions compete with the best players in the world how did, how did that change happen yeah well you know when we first started no one took us seriously i mean online chess was a joke it didn't really matter real chess was just you know over the board long slow games the stuff online was you know throwaway you know it wasn't a big deal and that was a is is fun for for players but like serious players didn't take it seriously. It took a long time to change that perception, but we knew that like coming out of the gate that like we weren't going to win the hearts and minds of the top players right away. That's part of the reason why we made our logo a pawn and not a king. It was like, hey, this is for all of us who are pawns out there. This isn't for the kings and queens to start. <laughs> this is for all of us who are pawns. Now, maybe you have queen potential in you. That's awesome. Um, but we're pawns. Like, let's just enjoy the game. And so we built tools and features to kind of please the common average chess players. Over time, we started to realize, you know, we get some title players coming in, uh, but we also got cheaters coming in. And we're like, oh my gosh. So we had to invest in like cheating technology, which is a huge investment for us ongoing always to protect the game. And then as we like had more and more people playing and it started to creep up as to like the level of play and as we were protecting the game with the anti-cheating stuff, we just slowly got more players coming. And then we started to put some money in it to attract some of the top players to come play. And that, that really started to ignite it. And then when COVID happened, like over the board, classical chess like went away for a couple of years. And everyone's like, well, I guess online chess is super important now because there's millions of dollars <laughs> at stake. We're going to go play there. So, you know, big gamble by, uh, you know, the other company, Chess24, which we later acquired Magnus Carlsen's company. They started doing a huge online tour and we're like, wow, this is a big deal. So we started doing the same thing and we eventually merged in and we have the Champions Tour now. Um, but, you know, it, it took a long time, but it was very concerted effort to like show the world that like online chess can be meaningful, can be super exciting, can be protected and can be, you know, career earnings for people. So in December of 2022, you hit hundred million users on the, on the site, hundred million members. Yeah. Um, and that was like a, you know, that was a significant milestone. Did you think that you would be at that point, you know, early on when you were building this, like what, what did you think was the early <laughs> potential of the business? You know, it's, it's very funny. I, I never really think that way. I'm a little bit of a monkey bars person where I, I kind of just think about the next monkey bar that I'm going to grab and swing onto mm -hmm. not too much further down. Um, cause I'm a real big believer in like good vision, but like just execute 
and let it happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So I never had it in my mind like, oh, we're going to hit 100 million members. Like I never even said that. <laughs> like hitting a million members sounded insane. Hitting 10 million, I, I never would have thought like 100 million, like I don't know, already like it seemed crazy. And I, I got to be honest, like when I grew up, chess was for nerds. It was small, like no one cared. Now it's completely different. Like, you know, all the jocks in high school are playing chess now, you know, it's like all popular and everyone does it and it's changed. Back when I started doing this, like it was very different. So there were days we would have, you know, it was very consistent for a while. 5,000 people a day signing up, 10,000 people a day signing up, you know, and then it got you know, 20,000 people a day, every single day signing up. And we're like, well, a, it's probably never going to get better than this. And B, someday the last person who's interested in chess on this planet is going to sign up. And then it's all over. And then we're just going to have what we have. I mean, we never predicted that in a single day you'd have 400,000 people sign up on chess.com, which is, was our peak kind of registration day at the peak of kind of all the, 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 the stuff you know, earlier this year. Absolutely mind-blowing. And you know, to have more people sign up in a day than we thought maybe would ever sign up on the service. And so, you know, I would say my vision was never make this big. My vision was to make this great. And if great and small is great, great and small is great. That's success. You know, big and garbage is still garbage, right? And so, but it's the quality that mattered. And then the scale came later, but it wasn't the goal. So recently you, I think it was somewhat recent, you did an acquisition of Komodo, this um, you know, commercial chess engine. Yeah. And there's been a lot of focus on machine learning in this space and, yeah. you know, and the importance of machine learning. Like how, how significant do you think machine learning will be in computerized chess going forward? Um, and what do you think are going to be some of the new types of developments like we could see um, from you guys in that type of cate- in that category? Yeah, so our, our acquisition there was just a little bit more of a, like a technology acquisition for a bit of an older tech, um, but that gave us a bit of a framework to do it. We actually have a new engine called Torch, which is stronger and is built with a whole lot of you know kind of newer cleaner things but all built on this kind of neural net based stuff where you you feed in positions and it does you know search and tries to evaluate these positions and find the best moves and prunes it all anyway there's all that stuff but that's kind of like a neural net search composite there's a whole different world of generative ai you know llms and all that stuff we're also playing a lot in there which is where we can feed in information and have it push things back out. So a big part of what we do is chess instruction. Well, everyone wants a private virtual chess coach, you know, and no offense to all the great coaches out there who are phenomenal, who will, a human coach will never be, you know, completely replaced by AI because it's the way you can kind of touch and feel and understand a person and what they need in the course over a long time. That's not our goal. But for the very casual player who just wants a small amount of feedback on their game and give me some pointers and some tips and make it sound interesting and not like a robot, LLMs are awesome for that. So we're investing right now into you know AI that can go over your game with you in a virtual coach environment just to give you the basics of what you can learn and improve from there. After you get to a certain level, then you need like a human professional coach and all the different stuff. But you know we see that AI is massive, even you know for the, the kind of fake bots we have on the site that, you know, kind of have conversations with you or the upcoming kind of coach product we're working on. Um, then there's also, you know, machine learning in a bunch of other areas, whether it's what are the right times to send somebody an email to say, Hey, 
you know, come back to chess.com and, you know, invite a friend or here's a special offer for you. There's also machine learning, you know, opportunities and things we're doing inside of fair play and anti-cheating, you know, where you put in data and then let the models run and see what comes out. So it's a big part of what we do. Yeah, I think it's good that you do that. And uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things that will come out of what you guys are doing with machine learning. So there's a couple different approaches, Eric, that you've had to, I think, bringing in a different generation to chess. You know, one was the chess, the chess kid website. Another one is like creating these like lessons that, that, <clears throat> that anyone can go and, you know, be able to just to use and to, and they can learn from some of the best out there that contributors can make. And that's, you got, you guys make internally as a team. Um, what do you think has been the best approach of getting people into this space that maybe aren't familiar with it, but want to try out chess and how have you been able to retain them um, through some of these methods? Yeah. I appreciate you asking that. One of the things, one of the things that always bothered me as a kind of mid-level chess player, I'm very <laughs> good at chess compared to like the average person, but I'm very bad at chess compared to like a good chess player. Right. Um, so I'm right in this really unique spot where I understand, you know, beginner chess, but I also understand top level chess. So I sit in this really unique place. But one of the things that always bothered me and I felt was a huge turnoff to people about chess was this like drive that you almost you always must get better. If you're not improving, it's you're wasting your time. If you don't want to be world champion, why are you doing this? And my view was like have fun. You could be one of the worst chess players on the planet and still have fun. And that's the whole goal. Like, you know, very few people who are vying for world champion. So everyone else should just be having fun. And yes, you can improve. Mm -hmm. And if that's your goal, awesome. Enjoy that. And it is one of the things that really keeps people involved in chess is that just drive to improve all the time. But that's also the thing that makes people quit chess, which is like, well, if they're getting the message that if you're not getting better, it's not worth doing you hit your ceiling or you don't have time and suddenly, ah, I'm going to quit chess. It's too much pressure. We tried to depressurize that and say, you know what? You can play the worst chess ever. You can play garbage chess. You can play chess against, you know, a stupid cat named Mittens and just have fun. You can uh, not even play chess, just watch chess because it's fun to watch. And so we tried to depressurize what it meant to be a chess player and I think that we were successful in doing that and that the relationship that most people have with chess today is healthier than the relationship that a lot of people had previously where it felt like an all or nothing or it felt like a grind or, or you know, it hit at their self-worth and ego. Um, so I don't know. We were successful in that. That's interesting, like how you change the perception of it, because I think that there were people viewed as a very pressure oriented sport, like just to have fun is important. Yeah, and it was, a, it was it, it, just to build on that, like it was a very concerted effort to do this. We did it in our messaging. We did it in social media. Yes, we celebrate the amazing performances of top players, but we also started to fill the feeds and stuff with fun and interesting stuff. Like, you know, you know, that feeling when you hang your queen and you're like, yeah, I did it. You know, the, the blunders. And we started to celebrate the, 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 the misery of losing and making mistakes and we made it fun. And so it was intentional and it ended up working. So you decided to have this like freemium model for the business overall, where you can, people can play and they can have a good experience and they don't necessarily have to pay something, uh, but there's a lot of opportunities to pay for it. Uh, you know, why did you decide to kind of go that route? And do you think that that's been helped you become very successful overall and maybe wouldn't have been as successful without going the freemium model? I think so. I love the freemium model as a consumer. I love it. Like, if there's a service out there that I like, but 
only like a little bit or only use a little bit, but I get great value for free. Great. Thank you. And if they want some ad revenue off my eyeballs, which I never click on, okay, that's fine. You know, but if it's a service I really like and I'm a power user, or I use it enough that I don't want the ads like, okay, I'm really happy to like subscribe and support what you're doing because you're providing value to me. I should provide value to you. So as a consumer, I like this. Um, you know, I don't mind other subscription businesses, especially around content businesses that have a lot of cost of goods associated with what they do. But I think freemium is great. As a consumer, I loathe like microtransaction models. And frankly, that was all the rage when we were starting. It was like, let's sell you, you know, you know, you want to play chess today? Well, you got to spend, you know, a hundred micro bits to play chess. And it's like, <laughs> what's a micro bit? It's like, I don't know. You get a billion of them for $10. And like, I just hated that as a user. I'm like, get your economy out of my face and let me just do the thing. And even now we get a lot of pressure, like, well, give everybody one chess set and then you can sell them like, you know, for $5, you can sell them a golden chess set. And I'm like, as a consumer, I don't want a golden chess set and I don't want to pay $5 for something that's, you know, a digital good. So get that out of my face. So uh, freemium just felt pro-consumer. It felt easy. It felt fair to everybody. And I'm so grateful that we did it. And it's turned out to be a really great business model in the long term, even though at the time it was a little bit like, I don't know, this, you know, it was a little bit more skeptical at the time. People were more skeptical when we, when we implemented it. That's good to hear it worked out well, because I think that it's gotten so many more players into this space and it would not have been what it is today without the freemium model. Absolutely. For sure. So you guys did this, um, the acquisition of the Play Magnus group, and they had yep. this like strong mobile app and there were other benefits to it. Now, how has it been internally after having that acquisition? I mean, just in terms of your internal resources and management of that, like how has the integration went? The integration from like a culture point of view has been awesome. Like. We were nervous about that because you really don't know. I mean, we were kind of enemies before, you know, both going after the same markets and doing things. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I would say there was when you're the big dog, like you a little bit can ignore it more when you're the like player trying to gain market space. It's a little bit more. So we were nervous about that. But, you know, after some kind of initial just, you know, after their suspicions subsided a little bit, it's been awesome. Like all their team members who came and joined us, it's been like, it's felt like family reunion more than anything. It's been really great to see. Um, and we've really integrated a ton. Now they had 13 different companies inside of their company. And we had like two, well, three, like chess, you know, chess.com, chess kid, and then Dr. Wolf, which is a separate app for kind of learning. And we we're like, oh man, now there's like 13 more companies. This is hard and confusing. So we have kind of divested or simplified or moved things around. We've gotten rid of some duplicative stuff. You know, we still have a lot, but we're really trying to simplify down to the core offering. Um, it's been a challenge at times. Like, you know, and Chess24 had a lot of competing features. And also, frankly, like under the hood, it was a lot of duct tape and chewing gum holding that, you know, the technology together because they didn't have the money that we had to kind of build the infrastructure. And so it's unfortunate. We actually did, you know, have to shut down Chess24 eventually just because, it was all this old tech that we were trying to, you know, do. And we're trying to take the best features of that. And we understand that some people in the community still kind of miss this about this mobile experience or miss this thing. And like, so we're, we're actively working to address all those from a product point of view, but the technology was a, and product was a dead end there. And so, you know, everyone who was working on that is now working kind of on the new future together. And, and it's actually really exciting, even if a little bit frustrating for the community. And I, and I respect that. 
Fair. Just the last question that I have, like, what do you want to see in the, in the world of chess and what's, what do you envision for chess.com within the next like five to 10 years, whether it's new product creations or where you see the company being at or the community and the culture around that, you know, what do you want to, what do you expect and, and want to see in those next five to 10 years? Yeah. More fun. I want it to be more fun, whether that's just kind of the excitement of how the game goes or, you know, the experience of the play, the interactions with the bots and the coach. I want it to feel more fun. Secondly is I want to help people learn better. We've found that people don't like actively learning. They like passively learning. And so they don't want to click on lessons and then click on next and then like have to read. People are a little bit in the, you know, the TikTok <laughs> scroll it, uh, you know, so it's, it's a little bit like that now. And so we want to improve the learning experience through AI, through kind of more passive learning techniques um, to get through that. Secondly, oh, sorry, thirdly is I want chess to become a spectator sport. I love watching chess. And if you think about it, in Formula One, you've got millions of people who watch it and dozens of people who race, maybe hundreds of people who race, but millions of people who watch. And in chess, you've got hundreds of millions of people who play and tens of thousands of people who watch. We want to flip that around a little bit. And we understand there's a lot to do by, you know, we need the players to get involved, to show off their personalities so people care about the stories. We need the events to make sense and be engaging and at the right times and in the right formats. We need sponsors to come in and say, I want to be a part of that and promote it. We need media partners who say, that's interesting content for our audience. Let's do it. So those are the big focuses that I have. Well, look, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. I think the story you have is great and what you, you know, the initiative you've taken on here to make chess more accessible, more fun, and continuously more of, a, of an enjoyable sport that reaches many um, is really great. And some of the innovations that you've put in place here have shaped you know, the chess world what it is today and, and given many people the opportunity to play. So I'm excited to see what you'll do next and the innovations you'll bring forward and, and how this um, integration with the Magnus Group continues to go. And, um, and I look forward to seeing your continued success. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate you having me.